Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. Sports Radio FNZ, Kyle Bailey with you on a Friday, taking you into the weekend. Big thanks to Seth Greenberg, coach Seth Greenberg, two-time ACC coach of the year, ESPN, college basketball analyst for joining us there in the previous segment. And he had, I thought, smoked some very interesting things to say about some of these Panthers, or rather Panthers, Hornets prospects uh, in the NBA draft. The Hornets last night getting the third overall pick in the lottery, the basketball gods uh, instead of smiting the Hornets this year, well, they, they did the opposite. I like to think it's courtesy uh, of my sacrificial offering yesterday. But, Coach, with some some interesting thoughts on James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Obi Toppin, what stood out to you? Well, just the high praise for, you know, James Wiseman. Because part of the problem with some of these top prospects this year is we didn't get to see him every single game. Like you think LaMelo Ball. Well, he was in Australia. Most people aren't going to be watching right. LaMelo Ball play in Australia. Danny Avia, he's playing overseas as well. And then you look at a guy like James Wiseman. Yeah, we already knew he was one of the top prospects coming into this season, but he only played, what, two games before a season was cut short due to the whole eligibility uh, circumstances? Anthony Edwards, he's a guy from Georgia. Not many people are going to be watching Georgia basketball every single night and day. So it's that's, I think, what part of it is what makes it unpredictable is because you don't see many of the blue bloods having many of these top prospects like Duke, uh, best prospect, what, Vernon Carey? He's probably, I don't even know if he's going to be in a lottery pick. Like, that's part of the problem, too. Cole Anthony didn't live up to the hype. And then, uh, I mean, Kentucky, they had a couple of guys, but they're late lottery guys. So I think that's part of what makes this draft unpredictable as well is the the lack of blue blood talent that ha- that's a top prospect like we've seen in the last decade. I See, the thing is, I y- yes, you're right. The, the, we've seen, well, hold on. We've seen some, right? The Zion Williamson draft gave us the kind of quote-unquote blue blood talent that you're talking about. Right, him and and Barrett coming out of Duke, and I would even say, you know, a kid like Hunter coming out of Virginia, like there was some quote unquote blue blood talent. Where right now we're looking at a kid from Memphis who played three games because of eligibility issues. Uh, we're talking about uh, you know an Israeli player from the Euro League who not a lot of people know a ton about, 
Anthony Edwards played at the the opposite of a college basketball blue blood in the University of Georgia. LaMelo Ball played in Australia. Uh, Obi Toppin played at Dayton, right? So you get the point. The blue blood stuff, the blue blood talent is not evident. It's not there, but I think that doesn't necessarily mean, and I know you agree with this, that there's not big time NBA talent in the bunch. You've just got to do the sifting, the evaluating, the due diligence and figure out which one of those guys it is. And so what, what Seth had to say, you know, about LaMelo, for instance, completely resonated and aligned with what I thought and what I said in the first hour that I'm, I'm not a LeVar Ball fan. Okay, I don't like the way that LeVar Ball has carried himself. I don't like the bluster, the bravado. It's one thing if you can back it up and it's justified, but LeVar Ball didn't play in the league. You know, he wasn't a big-time college prospect. You know, his son played a pretty good career, short one at UCLA, but, you know, I didn't like the way that he carried himself and came in like a bull in the china shop and some of the things that he said about other individuals throughout the league and in the media, but I'm not going to hold that against LaMelo Ball. If LaMelo Ball is the right pick for this organization – and that and Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego look at him and say, that's that's the future of this team. You know, maybe they want to play some small ball, you know, with P.J. Washington at the five, you know, and, and, and go small the way the Rockets have. Well, LaMelo might be a good fit for that if that's the, the style of basketball they want to play. And, and if you think that's the right fit for your organization and he's got the most talent and offers the most, well, then you can't let LeVar be the deterrent that stops you from taking him. He may not be the right pick. Because his jump shot is iffy. I think that can be fixed and improved upon. It's not as bad as Lonzo's. Okay, so that's that's a much better starting point. You know, I don't like the fact that defensively he doesn't seem to have any give a damn about him. But he's he's got a lot of offensive potential and a lot of physical gifts. You know, Seth was raving about his court vision. It's there. If you watch the, if you watch, I mean, just watch clips. You don't have to watch full games. Watch clips of 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 Lamelo Ball in Australia. The court vision is apparent. You can see it. So you can understand why that would be attractive. Now, I've seen some people saying, well, that would, wouldn't that detract from Devontae Graham's development? Well, yes and no. Okay, Levar, Devontae's game has to be able to stand on its own, first of all. And, and if you think LaMelo's the guy and he, start, and he turns out to be the guy and he, his developmental track stays on course, well, you're probably keeping Devontae and you're moving off of Terry Rozier's contract and looking to deal him at some point. I mean, you, you're going to run into these issues in the NBA if you're stacking talent. It's a good problem to have. You can't keep everybody. So LaMelo could be the pick. James Wiseman may be the absolute right pick. Again, when you talk about a guy having, you know, you, you're worried, you're worried about his motor. That kind of stuff I don't like. You know, that, that does worry a coach. You don't want to have to worry about a guy's motor. You don't want to worry about how much a guy cares or how much effort he's going to give. Those things can also be overblown, by the way, because in his defense, like I said, I'm going to talk to Gary Parrish of CBSSports.com, longtime college basketball insider, but host of the Gary Parrish show on 92.9 out of Memphis. You know, I talked to some people out of Memphis last night who said, look, he's a good kid from a good family who just got caught up in a bad situation with some agents and it cost him his eligibility because that's the NCAA. Uh, I, have a, I have a close friend, Mark Giannato, who, who uh, hosts a radio show. Uh, same station, 92.9 out in Memphis. He's a sports columnist with the Memphis Commercial Appeal. He said, dude, I, I just kind of by happenstance landed on a flight going back to Memphis with James Wiseman when he was coming to Memphis to play for Penny. He said, I landed the first interview on the station with him. I've gotten to know him. He's a great kid. And, and I trust Mark's evaluation when he tells me that. So there's a lot of reason to like uh, James Wiseman, too. I like Obi Toppin. I'm not saying he has to be the pick, but I like him. And just like Seth in the previous segment, I think this, this idea that a 22-year-old is, is ancient is ridiculous. It is absurd that we, we've looked at and for the last probably 10 years have increasingly looked at 
three and four year college guys coming into the draft at 22 years old as being ancient or too old or you know too old to truly develop. It's absurd. Fred Van Vliet, Danny Green, Malcolm Brogdon, Devontae Graham. There are too many examples, you know, of, of guys like that in the league right now who are contributing, who are thriving, and who have become part of championship caliber teams. It's that diploma bias that I'm pretty sure Gary Parrish himself coined a couple of years ago. The diploma bias that we apply to three- and four-year college guys. They can contribute and can do so in meaningful ways. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon was the, AC, or was the ACC player of the year and then the NBA rookie of the year. So we, we have to stop, and not everybody does this, but we have to stop dismissing outright these three- and four-year college guys in favor of Anthony Edwards, who may turn out to be great, but also may turn out to be Anthony Bennett. So that, that's, that's the interesting thing about this draft, is that there's no consensus, not only on the number one pick, but on damn near anybody. Because you, for every person you'll find that says Anthony Edwards out of Georgia is the consensus number one overall pick and a lock to be a stud, the very next guy is going to tell you, as Seth did, I don't like his situational awareness. I don't like his basketball IQ. He's a good player. I don't think he's great. Right? So there's no consensus there. Smoke, you look like you're chewing the fat. What are you chewing on over there? It's just, you know, it, it's, it's been a long time since we've had a draft like this to where we have no idea what's going to happen. The last few years... What was the expected number one pick? Oh, we already got it right here. Zion, yeah. It was the race to get Zion 2019. 2018, DeAndre Ayton's going to be the number one pick most likely. 2017 is probably going to be uh, Markel Fultz. 2016, Ben Simmons definitely going to get it. 2015, Carl Anthony Towns. 2014, Andrew Wiggins. Last time you have to go back to a draft like this was 2013, as I said a couple days ago. And it's kind of weird because, like, you know, then as well as now, so many of the top prospects have varying opinions on them, and it really makes this unpredictable. So it's kind of scary for the Hornets, but at the same time, I feel like Hornets fans should feel more at ease that this draft is happening right now with Mitch Kubchak at the helm compared to uh, Rich Cho. Because remember last year, what was the consensus when P.J. Washington got picked? It was like, it was bleh. bleh. Now look at it. It looks like he could be a potential piece for this Hornets team going forward. So I feel like Mitch Kubchak is the right guy for this job right now to get a pick during a tough draft where it's hard to evaluate during the middle of a pandemic. Oh, I, look, there, there's talent here. It's just, I, I can't wait to talk to James Borrego coming up in about 40, uh, 50 minutes here. We'll talk to coach at the top of the hour at noon about last night's uh, news, the development, the third overall pick, what he's looking for. And, and maybe, you know, I'm, he's not going to tell me who exactly they're going to draft, but I'm sure as hell going to try to get some, some context clues out of him because I want to know what he's looking for. Like I, I love talking hoops with JB, man, and and I want to find out what he's looking for, what he's what they prioritize, and 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 try to figure out what it is he thinks is the missing piece for this team to take another big step in the coming season. That last night was a big deal for the Charlotte Hornets organization and for this fan base, and and I saw the snarky jokes on Twitter because that's what Twitter's for. But you know, I, I enjoy it. I saw the jokes about how, you know, this right here, this excitement over the third overall pick, you know, tells you everything you need to know about this organization and what it's been like. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of bad luck and a lot of bad drafts and a lot of bad decisions, but this organization caught a break last night after I think catching a couple of breaks in the past 12 months in the form of PJ Washington and Devonte and some other second round picks that look like they're going to be able to contribute. It's it's long past time for this organization to catch some breaks. And I believe that's what's happening here. 
and they have to take full advantage of that, be it Wiseman or LaMelo or Denny Avia or Obi Toppin, whoever you prefer. I just want this team to lock it in, to find some talent, and to keep on building and figure out a way to get this, not just this roster and this team, but this fan base back to the feeling that it had back in the mid to late 90s and really beyond that because there was a lingering still excitement over Charlotte's first professional sports franchise. But this place or that team, that that organization and back in the day, the old hive on Tyvola, that was the place to be, man. That was the party. I didn't grow up in Charlotte, but my first NBA experience was in that building. And I can still see at, at, at 9, 10 years old, vividly what it was like in that building and how exciting it was and watching good Hornets basketball was what everybody wanted to be doing. And the Hornets are positioned right now to give that back to this city and to give that back to this fan base for the first time in a while. So, yeah, you, I, they're going to get some grace. They're going to get a little bit of patience, I think, because they've built up a little bit of equity. But it is really important that they get this right and you don't have to find the next LeBron or the next Kawhi to qualify as getting it right. You just can't whiff. There, there can't be any more Noah Vonleys or Frank Kaminsky's right now. You've got to find a piece that can help elevate this team and push it forward. That, that's why I'm so opposed to, to this organization trading out of the top three, as some have suggested could be possible. You know, somebody uh, hit me up earlier and said, I don't know, KB, you, you at least have to consider it if there's a good deal to be made. Okay, you consider everything. But right now, given the break they just caught and, and having two second round picks, 30, what, 36 and 52 or 32 and 32 and 56. I trust Mitch. He found a Martin. He found a Jalen McDaniels. He found, well, no, he found a couple of Martins, right? But he, he, he signed one of them, drafted the other, right? I, I trust Mitch. I do. They've just got to get this right. Don't screw it up. Let's put it that way. Don't screw it up. All right, we got more to talk to or talk about when it comes to the NBA draft. I want to get to the Panthers coming up in just a bit. But when we come back, a quick conversation with one of my favorite people, Doug Rice, president, anchor, Performance Racing Network. Now NASCAR's heating up, and they're going to the Monster Mile this weekend. As a matter of fact, three straight doubleheaders up at the uh, Monster Mile at Dover International Speedway this weekend. Doug Rice joins us next to preview all the action from Dover here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. with you at cruising on a Friday morning here on Sports Radio FNZ. Kyle Bailey with you. Evan Smoke Ludwig over there in the cockpit. We got a bunch to get to. Don't forget, coming up in about 40 minutes, we will chat with Hornets head coach James Borrego. Uh, we'll talk about what happened last night. The Hornets, despite the odds, picking third overall in this year's NBA draft. What will they do with it? I can only presume that uh, James Borrego will spill the beans and tell me all about his plans. Maybe, but either way, we'll talk about the draft, what they're looking for, the kind of player they think might fit this organization, a top three pick after, I think, exceeding expectations this past season and giving some people real reason for optimism in the wake of uh, Kemba Walker's departure and what felt like uh, just an abyss of, of basketball. This organization felt like it was going in any direction but the right one, but now it feels like there's some direction. So we'll talk to James Borrego about all of that coming up in about 40 minutes. But right now, this weekend, once again, all three NASCAR top divisions 
in action at Dover International Speedway. The Monster Mile uh, starts today, but Sunday, of course, the big one. And we talk about that with our buddy Doug Rice, president, anchor, Performance Racing Network. He is back with us on the Technicom Hotline. Doug Rice, how are you, buddy? Kyle, I'm doing great. Now, just for the record, I'm talking to a fully bearded Kyle Bailey. Is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. I, D- Doug, you should have seen the look on my wife's face when I got home yesterday. And I said, uh, hey, babe, by the way, and, and mind you, I'm talking to a pregnant lady. I said, uh, I, I may or may not have made a bet on the air today, a sacrifice to the basketball gods for the number one overall pick. And when I told her I offered up my beard, she looked at me and she said, you don't get to make those kind of decisions without talking to me first. So I learned a very tough lesson. Curveballs to pregnant women are not good, Kyle. Lesson learned. <laughs> yes, yes, lesson very much learned. All right, so you're going. We're going to the Monster Mile this weekend, Doug. What are we looking for? Well, it's a it's a double double weekend. We've got two Xfinity races and two Cup races at Dover, and I really honestly think right now we're in a situation where we've only got a couple of people in play for that final spot unless we have an upset winner. Uh, you've got William Byron sitting there at 16th in playoff points, and that's really all that counts. Don't pay attention to the point regular point standings. He's 16th in playoff. He's 25 ahead of Jimmy Johnson. He's 35 up on Eric Jones. So if you're, if you're watching to see who's fighting their way into the playoffs, those are the three drivers to keep your, your eye on. Of course, you've got Kevin Harvick sitting there with his gaudy six wins and Denny Hamill with five and Keselowski with three. So those guys are just trying to find more playoff points. But to get into the playoffs, I think you're looking at William Byron. Does he fall? Can Jimmy Johnson jump up? Can Eric Jones make a jump to get in the show? Right, talk to me quickly about the rules package. Now, for guys like me, it might be you know getting a little bit down in the weeds here, but uh, the rules package this weekend, I'm, I'm told the same one that was at the four races held so far this season at, at tracks measuring basically a mile or less. Good thing, bad thing? How does that impact the racing this I think, weekend? I think, it, I think it helps the the shorter tracks if you can consider a mile or less. I know I did the race at New Hampshire, and that's uh, the magic mile, and I, I thought it looked really competitive there. So I think from a competition side, and like you said, yeah, that's getting into the minutia of the sport a little bit. But I, I think that's going to be – I think it'll uh, give us two good days of pretty good racing. And I love these doubleheader weekends with the shorter races and a little bit more compact schedule. We're going to have eight – we're going to have three races in eight days, two in Dover and then next Saturday night down in Daytona. Doug Rice, president, anchor, Performance Racing Network. He's with us on the Technicom hotline. They're racing at Dover this weekend. And uh, it, it looks as if, or well, it doesn't look as if, our buddy uh, Chase Elliott's sitting on the pole this weekend. What are we expecting from Chase? I, you know what? I feel better about him the way that he ran down at the Daytona Road Course. He was in position to win that race by about 15 seconds if they don't have a late caution for Kyle Busch spinning out. So, uh Let's see if he can carry a little bit of that energy from the Daytona road course over. Tell you what, the guy's proven he's the best road racer in NASCAR, and I don't know that I would have ever said that. He's won the last three road courses. Uh, A lot of people looking at Jimmy Johnson this weekend. I mean, we all know Jimmy's riding a three-year-plus winless streak, but this is a track where he's won 11 times. If Jimmy's going to get a win in his, his last season, uh, this could also be a good weekend for him. I'm glad you said that because it, it, it actually, Jimmy got me thinking about Tiger Woods. And I brought this up a couple of times on the show in the last week or two because I've had a couple of listeners, one in particular, say, listen, KB, uh, you know, we all love Tiger Woods, but 
he's more of a, a media creation or a media created threat than anything else at this point. He's not a real threat when he plays in these major tournaments in the way that you know we're, we're accustomed to him actually being. Um, I, it, what about Jimmy Johnson? I, I've heard some people kind of mutter the same things about Jimmy that you know maybe they're more scared of him out there than, or they're not as scared of him out there as the media would like to have you believe. What do you think about that? No, there was there was a time six years ago that you went to the racetrack and when we were practicing and everything, you measured yourself against the times that Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals were putting up practice. Uh, I have not heard anybody. Of course, this year is kind of throwaway because we're not having practice. They're not measuring themselves against Jimmy Johnson anymore. They're measuring themselves against Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin and Brad Keselowski. And when you've gone three years plus without a W, um, there, there's a time that that becomes a trend and it's not coincidence. And I think we're at that stage in Jimmy Johnson's career. Uh, the people in the NASCAR world would love to see him go out with a W in his final season. Jeff Gordon did, Tony Stewart, Matt Kenseth. All those guys finished up with that uh, one shining moment. And people want that for Jimmy Johnson. Although I'm going to be honest, I don't know that that's a realistic want at this point when you're looking at three years without going to victory lane. Doug Rice, president, anchor, performance racing network. Doug, you, you mentioned uh, Chase and the road courses, but specifically uh, Daytona International Road Course last week. And I wanted to come back to that because it seemed like everybody had a good time and it seemed like it went really well. Do, do we expect uh, this, this series to go back to that track in the future? Uh, I have not heard that but I would not be shocked if that was the case. Well, we know that they're going to go back to the road course next year for the the Bush Clash race, the race of all the pole winners. They'd already announced that pre-COVID that they were going to do that. Uh, it's funny what you find out you can do when you have to do. NASCAR had never been real big on trying these enclosed road courses. Well, now they ran the Roval twice. And I think that sort of let them know, okay, we can do the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Maybe we can do this road course at Daytona. And the drivers loved it. Uh, was it the best race ever? No, but we proved that stock cars could race there and put on a halfway decent show. Doug, you, you mentioned the doubleheaders. We've got the ARCA Series, the Truck Series today, Xfinity Series, NASCAR Series over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. How much of this scheduling can NASCAR then, to, to that point a moment ago, take into the future? What are they, what are they finding that works on this front? I think they have found that the one-day show works. I know the track operators are not crazy about that because you own a big piece of real estate. You want it in action more than one or two days a year. The teams love that because they save a boatload of money if they go to a racetrack and they race on Sunday only. They fly in on Sunday. They unload. Next year, presumably, they would practice and or qualify, race, and go home. No hotel rooms, not all of that expense that goes with someplace qualifying on Friday, practice on Saturday, and race on Sunday. So the teams have already told NASCAR, we would love to continue this one-day trend into 2021 and 22 because it saves us a lot of money. Now, they have got to get buy-in from the tracks and the radio, I mean, the television networks, the radio networks, and uh, the sanctioning body. But I think they've got a very convincing argument to, to try to save them money going forward, I think the doubleheaders are going to become a thing that we'll see every year. I would not be surprised if we didn't see three, maybe four doubleheaders next year because it sure lets you uh, save a lot of money and also uh, give you a, a weekend full of uh, 
of NASCAR action. So I think that's going to stick. Doug, two things. I'll let you go. I, I got to ask you about this. Tony Stewart, uh, with, with some interesting comments uh, from just about a day or two ago on a podcast saying that NASCAR needs to, quote, do the right thing, end quote, and let Kyle Larson return to the track. Kyle Larson, of course, was overheard on an, an iRacing event uh, months ago using a racial slur. He, he lost his ride at Chip Ganassi Racing. I, is it time for Kyle Larson to come back to the track? What do you think about those comments? You know, I think that's up to Kyle Larson. Has he really realized the gravity of what he said? And, and has he uh, didn't have, has he performed his act of contrition? I don't believe there's an unpardonable sin in the world. Uh, but he has to be honest about this. If Kyle is just mimicking back what some coach has told him, uh, I'm not in favor of it as much. But, you know, in, in the big picture of the world, I'd like to see Kyle get a chance. But uh, it's got to be it's got to be honest. It's got to be earned. All right, Doug, and, and then again, last thing here. You mentioned Austin Dillon, who I think is a fascinating young man. Cleared to race this weekend. I'm curious what you think his trajectory looks like. Well, he's helped himself this year. I think he's improved his uh, finishing position by several positions on the track this year. He did get a win. Uh, you know, and, and let's be honest, the knock on Austin Dillon, and he talked about this after he won the race at Texas, was, hey, I'm the kid with the with the – silver spoon because i'm richard childress's grandson so i'm always going to have a ride uh he's a smart enough young man to know that that doesn't play forever that things have to show up on the racetrack where i think austin's got a chance to show the world hey i'm, I'm a player he's in the playoffs already because he won a race at texas motor speedway and that's fantastic don't be one of the first three or four people to exit the playoffs make make a sustained run get in there and make some noise and get to the round of eight it showed that you belong as an elite driver in this sport and then then you show me that your trajectory is in the right area doug rice president anchor prn he's with us each and every friday going into the weekend previewing all the nascar action doug we appreciate you brother have a great weekend kyle always a pleasure thanks a lot Doug Rice with us on the Technicom Hotline. Good conversation there with him. Again, racing at Dover this weekend. And, Smoke, you said despite your uh, your anticipation, your excitement for that race or those races this weekend, forecast doesn't look good, does it? Yeah, Mother Nature has left us alone for about a month, but they decided to come <laughs> back this weekend. And, uh, unfortunately, when they do this, a lot of the time, it's when the, they go to the tracks that have no lights. Yeah. So uh, I'm worried, but it especially makes it worse because it's a doubleheader weekend for so many racing series. And it's you're already in an uphill battle because it's probably not going to be the most watched uh, race because the Indy 500's this weekend. So, but... Yeah, hopefully Mother Nature can cooperate. Yeah, I'm right there with you. But you said also, you know, the, the Dover race is uh, it's secondary to a lot of people because of the other race happening this weekend, the Indy 500, something that, you know, I don't necessarily look forward to every year like a lot of race fans do. But to your point, it is the bigger race because it's the biggest race in all of autos and in, in all of motorsports. Yeah, and you got an Andretti on the pole for the first time in over three decades. So that's a pretty big uh, thing going into this weekend. Uh, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend in both racing series, but Dover can provide some good racing. It hasn't been as good as it's been in the past, but, um, I feel like we could be seeing something. I know Doug has his doubts about Jimmy Johnson, but this is the best place for Jimmy Johnson, even better than Charlotte. And he had a good run last week. 
I could see him getting a win this weekend. There you go. So a weekend full of auto racing and a lot going on in the world of sports. The NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball is rolling. We got a hell of a pitch up, pitching matchup tonight uh, in the NL East, right? We got uh, the Braves and the Phillies coming up at 7-10 tonight. Aaron Nola, Max Freed. Can young Maxie stay hot? We'll find out. He's about the only thing the Braves got going for him in that starting rotation right now, at least for the time being, but we'll see where that goes. Lots to get to, and of course, the story of the day, the celebration, if you will. The Hornets had the third overall draft pick coming up in October's NBA draft. What should they do? Where will they go with this pick? Where would you like to see them go with this pick? Your thoughts throughout the show. We'll get to it throughout the show, but when we come back, we'll tell you who balled out and a Carolina Panther who looks apparently especially sharp this morning at practice. We'll talk about it next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Kane is in the building. <laughs> There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Newton running. Newton gets to the corner. Cam down the sideline. Cam Newton hesitation. Still on his feet. Cam Newton. Touchdown, Carolina. What a play. In your life have you seen anything like that? Let's see who balled out last night. Smoke leads us off. What you got, buddy? Well, we're going to go to San Diego. Oh, wait. I'm hearing they changed their city to Slam Diego because the Padres just made history last night. They are the first team in MLB history to hit grand slams in four consecutive games. It started with the controversial 3-0 count with Fernando Tatis against the Rangers. Then Will Myers had a grand slam. Then Manny Machado had a walk-off grand slam. And last night, Eric Hosmer had a grand slam. So rest assured, I think the Rangers are never going to complain about a 3-0 count ever again. (laughs) Slam Diego. I got a couple. I I think I have to say Devontae Graham for repping the Hornets last night in the draft lottery and uh, providing them with just a a touch of good luck. Just a kiss to get them into the top three last night. So I got to throw some love to Devontae Graham. Also, Anthony Davis, the Lakers even up their playoff series with the Portland Trailblazers in a blowout win. It was never particularly close, 111 to 88. Anthony Davis, 31 points, 11 rebounds on a fairly pedestrian night for LeBron James, which I'll get to in just a second. So I'll throw it out to Anthony Davis for sure. And, you know, not to be too L.A.-centric here, but because he made history last night, Clayton Kershaw passed Don Drysdale for second all-time on the Dodgers' strikeout list in a a dominant performance in a 6-1 win over the Mariners, and you actually tie that game back once again to Charlotte because it remains the Seager series with Charlotte's own Corey and Kyle Seager going at it opposite each other. Corey for the Dodgers, Kyle for the Mariners, but last night Clayton Kershaw passing Don Drysdale, second all-time in strikeouts in franchise history, and that is who balled out. Hit us up on Twitter at Kyle Bailey Club. It's at Kyle Bailey CLUB at Clubhouse KB if you want to give us a follow. Coming up in 20 minutes, a little bit shorter than that, actually, we'll talk to James Borrego, head basketball coach, Charlotte Hornets. I think you've heard of him. He'll join us uh, to kick off the lunch hour, and we'll talk to Coach Borrego about, well, uh, you know, what they're going to do with the third overall draft pick, or at least, you know, we'll try to get him to tell us what they're going to do with the third overall draft pick. And I want to know what you think they should do with this third overall pick. 
I've had a couple of people suggest that because this isn't the deepest class in the world, that maybe the Hornets should consider trading back. And, you know, I understand why logically you might at least consider that. I just don't think you do it in this draft. Certainly not after what this franchise has been through and all the excitement that is surrounding this pick right now. Don't overlook that. Don't take that for granted. This fan base has not had that much to be excited about in years. That is not an oh, that, that's not an exaggeration, by the way. That that's not an exaggeration. And by the way, Smoke, what did you tell me? <laughs> what did you tell me about the Denny Avia? Uh, the, the eval that you read this morning that's got some people scared off of Denny Avia? Uh, well, the Ringer, they have like... Uh, oh, that's these, right, the Ringer's draft yeah. preview. Yeah, and they have these, instead of going flat-out comparisons, which I actually think is smart, they do shades of, and the second one that came on the list was Nicholas Batum, and I saw Josh Klein of the Riot Reports like, nope, nope, uh-uh, mm-mm, sorry, out. <laughs> yeah, so again, maybe that's maybe that alone is why they uh, and, and Chad, by the way, hit me up earlier and called him the uh, Israeli Batum. So apparently that's catching on. And if that's the case, very quickly, the entire fan base is going to turn on Denny Avia if he's drawing any Nick Batum comparisons. But I mean, th- seriously, this franchise has not had this fan base has not had much to be excited about for years. Don't take that from them. Do not take that from them. In my don't don't do it, please. I take make this pick at three. And look, I th- I think they're going to. I think the only deal they make would be to deal up with maybe the Warriors if they see a guy they absolutely have to have. But even then, you know what are you offering Golden State to move up? I think Golden State may do it in the right situation depending upon who they have their eye on. Many people believe that they like James Wiseman a lot. Um, I, I think it was uh, Levar Ball first of all said uh, that he didn't want to see Lamelo drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Here are his exact words on that. That's the part I don't like about the Golden State. They got, you know, Clay and, and, and the other guys, and now you want to put Melo in that mix to say you got to follow these guys. Mm. That's, a ain't no follower. That's a little unfair Mello, to him. Melo ain't no follower. It's just like, man, he don't need to do what they do. Let them do their thing. There's a reason you're looking at my son. He's talented and can play the game. It ain't that hard. Dude, open pass it to him. You open and you, you've been working on your shot, shoot the ball. Run. The fast pace is good. But don't be like, Melo got to wait his turn and wait two or three years to go by and talk about he got to learn from the veterans. <laughs> ain't about that. Can he play or not? Facts. And so, when you're special, and tell me this, though, when you're special, how do you really coach somebody special? You just enjoy, and they're special because of the things they do. Magic. You're six, eight, six, nine. You ain't supposed to be dribbling. But you're so special, you don't tell him, don't dribble. You right. let him do what he does. Michael right. Jordan, you let him do what he does. All right, there you go. So so he doesn't want him going to Golden State. I don't think Golden State's going to go that route. I don't think they need him. I think Golden State, as I've been reading for a couple of days, is very interested in James Wiseman. I think that's what they're looking for out there, is to go find a Wiseman. And and if that's what, first of all, if the Hornets want Wiseman, I think they're going to have to deal up with the, the Warriors to get him. We'll see. I could be wrong about that. But make the pick at three. Be it Wiseman, Obi Toppin, maybe LaMelo Ball. You know, again, I, I'll keep saying it. I'm not the biggest LeVar, LeVar Ball fan in the world. But if you think LaMelo is the right pick, if you're Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego, then take him. Okay? I don't know what that means strategically, what kind of offense that means they'd be intending to run. There's been some speculation about more small ball. I don't know. If you think LaMelo is the right guy, go get him. If, if he's got the talent you think that is transcendent or, or possible superstar potential, then go take him. 
I, I think Obi Toppin could be a great player. I do slightly disagree with Coach Greenberg's assessment earlier that he's more of a 7-12 to 12 player than he is a top 3 or top 5 player. Uh, several folks, by the way, listening took issue with that on the text line as well. You know, far be it for me to, to question Coach Greenberg's basketball acumen here. I, I've just seen Obi Toppin as being a better ball player than that. But then again, this is one of those drafts where you, you don't know from team to team who they think are the three best players in this draft. There are teams out there who think that Killian Hayes is a top three caliber talent. There are teams out there who think that James Wiseman's motor is not, or, or it would scare them off of taking him with a top three pick. And it's like we've been talking about the NBA draft folks that over at NBA draft.net have James Wiseman going uh, seventh overall or did in before last night's lottery in their most previous iteration of their mock draft. So it is all over the place, but there's talent in this draft. There's talent in every single draft without question. You've just got to figure out where it is. All right, 704-570-9610. Asa Abloy phone lines, building center text line. Hit us up, let us know. Um, on top of that, it's a rainy Friday morning here in Charlotte, but the Panthers were still out practicing this morning. So I, I've been following along with Joe Person and all the beat writers out there who've been you know, commenting on practice, sending out the latest. You know, the, like, I mean, today, Joey Sly went five for five in the rain. Kicking field goals. That's not going to turn anybody up too much, but it's good news, right? You, you, if you're going to let go of Graham Gano, who, by the way, signed with the New York Giants, if you're going to let go of him and keep Joey Sly, you want to hear good things. Well, good things this morning, five for five, kicking in the rain. That's great. Uh, also this morning, uh, Shaq Thompson, back out on the field. Good thing. Uh, Bravion Roy, back out on the field after missing yesterday with a stomach bug. Good thing. Uh, not so good news. Undrafted wide receiver Omar Bayless, who was having a fantastic start to training camp, has now missed three practices in a row with swelling in his knee. Not great news, but he's impressed. And I don't think he, now I say this, I don't think he runs the risk of, uh, of going anywhere just because of his knee injuries as of late. They like that kid. He's been showing him something. Not great news, though, because he's dealing with a knee injury. Don't love that. All right, so you got that going on. Christian McCaffrey apparently doing all sorts of Christian McCaffrey things this morning. But I see a couple of people. Uh, the Jeremy Igos, Elena Getzenbergs, others who have really been commenting this morning about how sharp Teddy Bridgewater's looked, how sharp he's looked uh, in the rain, but just in general. That's that's really good news. Jason Lockenfora came on the show yesterday, and and he said he thinks Carolina is one of a couple of teams that's really going to surpass expectations. And we we know all about Sal Palantonio a couple of weeks ago on the Mac Attack. You know they're they're going to win uh, seven eight games. They're going to start four and one really high on this team. Plenty of people are are believing that the Carolina Panthers are are better than a widely held assumption. Let's call it that, that they're going to be the worst team in the NFC South by a mile, a two-win team, two and 14 record, and they're going to be picking first, second, or third next year's NFL draft. Possible, but that is far from a, a widely held consensus. And if they're going to surpass those expectations, obviously that has to start with Teddy Bridgewater. I get the sense that there's more support now for Teddy Bridgewater than there was a month ago, and probably simply because they're back on the field with helmets and shoulder pads. I think that's really been the only difference because there was already a lot of reason to think that Teddy could provide some great entertainment and run this offense effectively and be a dude under center that you can cheer for. Like when, when Teddy, the way Teddy was signed, which then immediately brought on the conclusion that Cam Newton was out the door. Because of what that meant, we just glossed right over. For a good long while, we glossed right over 
everything important about why Teddy Bridgewater is an easy guy to root for and why he may have success here in Carolina. But now that he's out there on the field in training camp and you're seeing him work with DJ and Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, and, and it looks like they've already got some early chemistry. Timing looks okay. First couple of practices in training camp, certainly, you know, without any spring ball, without any OTAs, mini camp, I mean, limited workouts. Yeah, Teddy got together down in Florida with Robbie Anderson and a couple other folks, but nothing like it normally is. So for, for all that to have taken place and for Teddy to now still look as sharp as he reportedly does, you know, both this morning and in the start of training camp, that bodes well, to me anyway. Now, it doesn't bode well to you if you're one of those folks that wants to see this team crash and burn in 2020, so it lands them at the top of the draft heap in 2021. You probably don't think that bodes well. I do. I think this team can absolutely go back to the playoffs with Teddy Bridgewater, so long as this team is built correctly around him, both on the offensive and defensive sides. He looks sharp from some of the clips that I've seen, from much of the reporting I've seen. They like what they're seeing out of Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, that, that's why they brought him in. If you were going to move on from Cam Newton and you didn't have the opportunity, and they didn't, to draft top three and get the quarterback that everybody's so desperate to have all the time. If you, if you weren't going to go that route, signing Teddy made some sense because of his, uh, his familiarity with Joe Brady and the offense and, and with many of the pieces that are there. I, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on Teddy as everybody else is, but especially to see how sharp he looks here early on without the benefit of being with his team in the spring and summer. That's a really good sign if he looks this sharp already. Now, I know we'll get the cynical folks out there. I haven't even checked the text line. I'm not even going to until the break because I don't want to see it. I know it's there. People say, well, it's against this defense. Of course he looks sharp. This defense is terrible. How could anybody not look sharp against this defense? I don't know. It's the same thing we say every single year in training camp. Unless we knew this was coming in a surefire lock top five defense. It's training camp practice. They're competing. Teddy's winning. More often than not, it seems. I like that. That, that, that bodes well for the future. But I'm sure some people will argue. We got a lot to get to. But when we come back, the conversation that I have most been looking forward to since last night's news, and I mean that with all due respect to Seth Greenberg and Gary Parrish and Doug Rice, on the other side, the head basketball coach of your Charlotte Hornets, James Borrego, jumps in. We'll talk about the number three pick, what that means for the Hornets franchise, what he's looking for, best player available, Positional fit, rim protector. How's it all going to go down? How does the evaluation process work with limited time to see these prospects in person? They're going to have to watch the NBA Draft Combine via live stream. Many of them anyway. We'll talk to Coach James Borrego next here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.